Assalamu alaikum and welcome to Hijabi Culture, the podcast that celebrates hijab-wearing women who are challenging stereotypes and helping change the narrative of hijab in the media. My name's Halima, I'll be your host and welcome to episode 17. I'm so excited that you've decided to join me on this episode and I'm even more excited for you guys to meet this incredible woman who talks about her journey and yeah I just can't wait to get into that but before we do I just want to say thank you so much for joining us on Hijabi Culture. It's exactly one year when you're listening to this that I decided to start the Hijabi Culture podcast. I had no idea how I was going to do it. I literally just recorded it on my voice notes and told my friend about it and this is all in Abu Dhabi and I said I'm going to start a podcast and here we are a year later we've got 17 episodes I just cannot believe it um I can't believe it's come to life I always think that oh my, what if I'm just somebody who says a lot of things and I never get around to doing it but this just shows that alhamdulillah I had a plan we followed it and yeah we've got hijabi culture as a podcast and we've got some amazing guests coming up and we've had some really really positive people on the show and we've had some really positive feedback so thank you so much for bringing my dream to life and let's get into this really really exciting episode assalamu alaikum wa alaikum assalam how are you i'm good alhamdulillah how are you i'm good thank you i'm really good oh that's good how's your ramadan going it's going well i mean um you know i'm quite um shocked as to how fast it's flying by but that's the case every year isn't it um but yeah we're nearly there how about you how are you finding it exactly the same yeah, yeah. i was just thinking i was trying to kind of comprehend how fast it's gone but it's yeah. just gone in a blur of naps it, are we it doesn't feel like it's been a month at all like literally it feels like i've been fasting for me like two weeks and that's it like i've blinked and it's literally over so yeah yeah i feel like working full-time just kind of yeah. adds that extra pressure on it that it just flies by it does. It really does. I mean, it, I think that's what makes the time go by so quickly because by the time you're finishing work and coming home, it's literally you've got maybe an hour or two hours for iftar time. So it's, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. It's definitely been a blur. But um, <laughs> the feeling of sort of like sadness and, um, you know, you have that excitement towards the Eid as well, but definitely sadness as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think it comes with the idea that you wait all year for Ramadan, you can yes. talk about it quite fondly and then before you can even like truly cherish the time, it's gone. It is, yeah, that's what, that's literally it, definitely. Anyway, thank you so much for joining me today, I'm so excited to kind of speak with you. I've been following you on Twitter for a fair bit now. Um, oh, right, okay. Yeah, um, so, I, and then I'm, I just found your tweet so funny and then I said, <laughs> Austrian in your um yeah bio. Like, oh my god like she's definitely somebody for hijabi culture so <laughs> introduce yourself to our listeners yeah so uh, my name is Safura. I'm 29 I'm based in Halifax West Yorkshire I'm a residential conveyancer and I'm an equestrian so obviously I know there's a lot of people out there who probably don't know what that means in essence because I know whenever I mention I'm an equestrian to many people. They just sort of ask me, well, what is that? What is that? So um, I do show jumping. And um, I've been doing that for a couple of years now on and off. Um, I started when I was a sort of early teens. So, yeah, started that when I was sort of early teens. Now, um, I know it's very unconventional for a 
Pakistani to sort of be involved in a field like this and I agree it is but um, I don't know like sort of so when I was a young child like I was always really really fascinated by horses and I think it started from Black Beauty I don't know if many of you will remember that movie but I remember watching that and just seeing the bond between the horse and you know the boy in the movie and that's what captivated me initially thinking that that's absolutely amazing the fact that horses are able to kind of build that trust and bond with human that's what I found so so fascinating and since watching that movie that's that's what inspired me to kind of like I want that I want to be that boy you know with that that bond with that horse so I remember I'd never sat on a horse before ever I just knew I loved this animal I, I was obsessed literally obsessed um, I remember telling my family that look you know I was I think I was in um, year nine year eight year nine when it started and I told my family that look I want to start horse riding and they laughed at me obviously because you know I had no experience never been that close to a horse before um, and I remember being just very very upset and sort of going upstairs to my room and just you know sulking and my older brother came upstairs uh, to my room and sat down with me and he was like, right, okay, because my brother is um, a very logical man. You know, if you want to do something, he wants, he will expect you to have a plan for that, no matter what your age is. So he kind of sat down with me and he was like, right, okay, so you want to do horse riding, you want to own your own horse, but I want you to do your research. I want you to come up with a plan as to how that's going to work time-wise, how you're going to travel to and from the horse, your time management, costs, like all of this, where are you going to get the money from? Every single thing, do your research, get it in a plan and bring it to me. And let's think logically instead of, you know, being very, you know, emotional about it and that sort of thing. So that's exactly what I did. So I literally went online, did as much research as I could, spoke to friends who had horses, went online, you know, onto little like, you know, these chat groups and stuff, talking <laughs> to people who had horses as to how I'm going to do this as somebody who doesn't have any experience. Um, put everything together on paper, brought it to my brother. I was like, right, look, this is my plan, blah, blah, blah. And uh, he was like, right, okay, so the next step we need to do is you need to prove to me that you are capable of sticking to this because this isn't, you know, a small thing. You, it's oh, Having a horse is a huge lifetime commitment. And um, buying the horse is not the issue. It's about what, what are you going to do once you have the horse, which is a fair point. So... Um, I remember we looked at sort of like local farms and riding schools, livery yards where I could go ahead and volunteer at to prove to him, you know, that I am capable of sticking to this no matter what weather it is. I was expected to kind of go and graft and um, we went to visit a farm together. It was literally a little local farm. We went to visit there and um, they had their own sort of private horses. They had two private horses at the farm and obviously naturally they don't normally um, allow people to ride their horses because because that's their own um, but I remember he sat down with the lady there and uh, I was in the room and he he was just sort of saying to her look you know these kids nowadays you know they don't understand responsibility they just say they want to do something blah you know blah blah and they just sort of they don't know how to follow that through so um, I want you to work this girl maybe do whatever all the difficult tasks all the messy tasks I want to see if she can like hack it out because she wants to buy a horse and obviously they were sort of mocking me almost but I think I needed that at that age to sort of you know kind of fuel that fire in me so that I can prove to him 
and her that I'm able to do this. So that's literally what I did. So after school, I'd get the bus, go to the farm, whether it's raining, whatever the weather is, I was there mucking out, grooming, anything that the lady needed, I was there to do that. And in exchange for that volunteering, she would allow me to ride her horse and she would teach me. So that's where it sort of started from. And then shortly after I stuck to it, and I realized, you know what, this is this is what I want to do. This is what I kind of pursue. Um, I had no idea what show jumping was at that point. But um, obviously, once you ride for quite a long time, um, you know, you get introduced to these different arenas, whether there's dressage and there's show jumping or eventing, etc. Quite a lot. Um, I realized I wanted to do show jumping. Now, I'm somebody who is petrified of heights as well. So it doesn't really make sense <laughs> as to why I chose this field. But I think it was more to do with that excitement. It was just that feeling of freedom of when you are that in sync with your horse, you are in complete trust of this animal beneath you to kind of lift off and get you safely to the other side you know, on the other side of the pole. And mm. it was just that feeling of of fear and excitement mixed together that that's just what I was like, you know what, I don't care if I'm afraid of heights, I need to do this. And it's that it was a bond because when you're riding, I know a lot of people, when you mention horse riding in general, people just assume or straight away the comments I get are, well, the horse is doing all the work. And that's not true. I mean, if you think the horse is doing all the work, when you watch, you know, these show horse shows on TV and stuff, that just shows how good of a rider that individual is because they are literally doing all the work with their core, with their muscles, with their legs, you know, lower body, everything they're breathing in order to pull that horse. And if it looks like they're not doing anything, that just shows how good of a rider they are because trust me, like when I started riding, even now sometimes after a session, I am gasping for air. I am out of breath because of you're constantly having to contract your core muscles, use your legs as an aid to kind of guide the horse where you want it to go, what you want it to do. And obviously, if you're constantly engaging these muscles for like an hour and over an hour, you are, you know, it's going to tire you out. So, you know, I think that's that's what also differentiates between a good rider and a bad rider as to how easy they make it look. Um but yeah, so I mean, I stuck to it. I ended up taking one-on-one -on -one lessons. And I think when I proved to my brother that I was in this for the long run, he did buy me my first horse. And that was an absolute oh, wow. amazing experience. And, I, you know, alhamdulillah, I'm lucky to kind of have um, that privilege. And I understand it is a privilege, um, you know, to do that and experience that. It was absolutely amazing. But very competitive person in general so now that I had my horse my next goal was how do I sort of pay for this by myself because I don't want to be on anyone I want this mm. to be my thing I want to be able to do this fully on my own so obviously as I got older I was earning I started saving etc and when I had enough money um you know I paid my brother back we did sell that horse and alhamdulillah I was able to kind of get my own and I started off um, part loaning the horse which is a great way for beginners even if they want you know to have their own horse to start off with and I think um, 
just generally people who are interested in horses and they want to kind of get involved in this field they don't really understand they don't have all the information so it's a, it's an amazing way to kind of get involved in this by part learning so you're initially sharing your horse with somebody else whether it's in the local area which is more ideal or might be a little bit further away you agree where the horse stays so they stay at a livery yard you both sort of split the costs for that whether it's to do with the livery costs uh, maintenance costs you know bedding vet bills whatever you just split those costs and the time as well so you'll sort of arrange between yourselves who is going to go down to the yard ex horse groom etc and I think that's a great way to kind of get started in that so that's what I did as well and yeah it's been an amazing literally an amazing amazing journey I mean it's difficult because when it's raining when it's snowing you don't feel like going to the yard you have and especially when you're working full time you don't feel like you know after work fitting that in or going in the morning but it's something that I chose to do so you know it's a part of my life my horse is a part of my life and he's now a part of my son's life and this is something that I find you know amazing like when I look back thinking that this is a huge passion of mine and I'm able to now share that with the younger with my younger generation you know and he absolutely loves the, loves going to the yard I take him with me often I give him a brush I give him an empty stable and he's having the time of his life literally <laughs> in the hay and straw and uh, I mean it's just great um so yeah when I was younger I did take part in a few like local competitions here and there around West Yorkshire so that was really nice and uh, I'm not sure if any of the listeners know but so I'm a single parent as well and when I got married, um, I, I sort of paused this hobby for a little while. Uh, it was on and off. I was riding, but I didn't really take it seriously. But when I when I became a mum, it sort of I don't know that that fire was still there, and I think it made me want to focus on it so much more. And I think that was more to do with me trying to sort of hold on to my identity, you know. So that made me want to focus on it so much more. And I'm so glad I did that because. You know, it's a huge part of my life. I love the fact that I am a Muslim. I'm hijabi. I I ride. I you know I'm able to kind of not almost pave that path and inspire others to show them that you can do that. It's very accessible. Yes, it's expensive, but it's doable. There are very there are different avenues you can take to get to where you want to be. I mean, it's a sunnah sport as well, um, but it's a beautiful, beautiful sport, especially maintaining the horse and taking care of them understanding them and you know building that trust and bond with them it's so so beautiful yeah yeah and when you went into the sport you said you went in up like 14 when you first had an interest in yeah. horse riding um did you go in as a hijab wearing woman or did the hijab come along across the journey let me think um i think i was um I don't think I was wearing hijab at that age. I started wearing it when I was 18. I think it was when I was in sixth form, I started wearing it. Um, I think we're, I don't know how old we are at that age. Six, 18, I'm going to say yeah, 17, 18. Yeah. 17, 18. Um, so, when, so when I came to, when I started, when I was in sixth form, obviously I was still riding. I, I went through this really huge transition phase where I felt like, I was contradicting myself with riding and wearing the hijab because it's such a it's such a big step to take when you mm. start wearing the hijab and you're questioning all these things and you're looking more into your, to your religion and faith. Um, there was a huge part of me where I felt like I 
I was contradicting my faith because obviously with riding, with show jumping, especially if you're training properly and not riding just leisurely, um, you're having to wear what they, you know, they want you to wear, which are the, you know, tight trousers, etc. Yes, they would make, during my training sessions, you can wear what you'd like, obviously, as long as it's nothing too loose. But it was more the clothing that really made me feel like, should I really be doing this, you know, uh, despite it being a passion of mine, should I really be pursuing Because the more I compete, I'm more in the public's eye. I have less control in that sense as to who sees me. Um, so I think that was more of a motivation for me to get my own horse so that I have that privacy, I guess, you know, and um, I'm able to control a little bit more as to when I ride, uh, whether I compete or not, etc. So... I mean, it's something that I still struggle with now because I pursue this even further and carry on competing. Um, but I know that if I go down that road, I will I won't be able to control as much. So, yeah, that's still something that I'm still struggling with. So, so for now, I am content with um, just riding and training, which I really enjoy doing weekly. Um, I think I'm happy where I am at the moment and just sort of building that relationship with my son and, and the beautiful sport as well yeah yeah I think it's so um when like when we're hijab wearing women it can I yeah. know so many people across different fields it's always the what we're wearing at the time of competing that holds yes. so many people back because yeah. we've had weightlifters before and they have to wear a singlet when they compete yeah. and so many people feel that they wouldn't feel comfortable with people seeing them in that and what they're wearing yeah. and now you mentioned that the horse riding gear um, that you would have to wear to compete um, yeah. so how can we make these deals like this more accessible are there any steps that they need to, people need to take to kind of say oh people might people in general might not feel comfortable wearing this whilst pursuing this sport can we put some leeway in or something like that I personally I don't think there would be a way for Muslim women to kind of change the rules in this arena because it's sort of an old English sport you see mm. and they like to uphold respect I understand um so I don't think I personally don't think that's going to I think as a Muslim woman if you want to you know compete etc I think there will be as as bad as it sounds sad as it sounds you have to sort of make that decision it's on your own shoulders as to whether you want to pursue that with the rules and regulations of the sport that's given I think that's what will motivate a lot of Muslims to kind of down the route of maybe owning their own horse and you know uh, being able to ride freely go and hack you know on a weekend etc uh, by themselves or in a small group I think that's probably what's best suited which I'm still navigating this field you see so um, I'm still questioning these things these questions that you're asking me I'm still sort of trying to find the answers to them myself as well so I, do, I don't know how to answer that for now at the moment sorry no no I appreciate that yeah. because obviously we can't know everything about everything and yeah it is we can't click our fingers and expect change no. it just doesn't happen and some things will yeah. never change especially as you say like it's an old English tradition that's yeah. something that will probably never ever ever change because no. we are so deep rooted in tradition yeah but when I saw your Twitter profile and I kind of like looked through you what really stood out was the fact that you were a hijab wearing Muslim girl but you were also a horse girl and I've yes. never seen that crossover before because I'd been to school yeah. and there were horse people and you just think yeah mm. it was quite middle class privileged yeah. and then when you but you never put that I never put that identity with a Muslim woman so how did you find taking on the identity of being a horse owner 
Um, I mean, it. I understand. I think people have people automatically sort of perception of you as soon as you mention you have a horse, they automatically <laughs> assume that you know you're wealthy and you come from you know sort of one of those elite Pakistani families almost. And I don't, you know, I don't, I just want to make it clear that, you know, we're a working class family and, um, you know, yes, okay, fine. We come from Lahore in Pakistan. I get it. You know, it's more advanced in terms of other cities back home, etc. I mean, I have, um, I have grown up with money. We've lost money. So we've experienced both sides of the spectrum almost. Um, and I think that's what sort of motivated me more to kind of build a life for myself and my son now where, you know, it's the life that I want for him. And I want him to grow up around horses, around animals, which is something that I've done now. And I want that to become the norm for him because it wasn't the norm for me when I was younger. It only became the norm for me when I started grafting and my brother tried to help me, you know, to build a life that I want to live and have. Um but yeah, I mean, um, being a horse girl <laughs> as a Muslim hasn't been the easiest thing either because um, I have come across a lot of comments sometimes, you know, at different riding schools, a lot of looks, a lot of glares from certain coaches, from um, especially parents of other riders because you, I very rarely come across other hijabis or Muslims in general at the riding schools that I go to or have been to um, I've never come across any like people of colour there either it's always the same sort of group that attend there which are sort of the high class you know white that sort of thing that's what you come across yeah and I understand I don't fit into that and especially when I go there wearing my hijab um, they look at me straight away as soon as I walk in like right okay what is that is she riding with my daughter? Is she going to be in that arena? They just look at me in a really horrible way sometimes. Sometimes it's curiosity and I understand that. And at first, I think when I started, that did used to get, it used to put me down quite a lot. And it really shifted my confidence in riding as well. But as soon as I started, you know, training much and knowing that I am actually good at this, um, it, I, it didn't bother me as much. I didn't, and they used to come and watch me as well during my training sessions. And it didn't bother me because I knew that, you know what, um, I want them to come and see me. I want them to see that, you know, I do have a hijab on. Um, I am able to ride. I'm good at, I'm bloody well good at this. Um, so come, yes, watch me. You know, I wanted them to see that, you know, I can do this as well. Just because I'm wearing a hijab doesn't mean that it's stopping me from pursuing something that I love or being involved within this field that is, unconventional you know that is more that's usually dominated by non-muslims or you know yeah so um it's it has been difficult it's been a difficult journey um but I am so glad that I sort of stuck it out and where I'm at at the moment is I have sold my horse simply because um I was struggling time-wise as a single parent. It's, it's getting very difficult. I have other horse riding. is the only passion of mine. I have quite a lot of things that I'm pursuing. Um, so I think it was just the right moment to kind of take a step back just for now. Um, so I did sell him. He's gone to an amazing owner. And I am in the process of looking for horse, another competition horse soon. So inshallah, if I do find one, um, I will be purchasing another one and continuing of show jumping. Yeah, well, that sounds amazing. And you say you talk about buying and selling horses. How much does an average show jumping or competition horse cost? 
Um, I think it depends. I mean, if you're looking at horses in general, they're not expensive to buy, but it comes down to their career as well. So a horse has a career as to how many competitions they've taken part in, etc. If they are competition horses or not. So um, you can get a, a horse. I think if you're looking at the lower end of the spectrum for maybe like about four or five thousand pounds, uh, obviously the larger their career has been their history how many competitions they've been taking part of how many owners they've had they've been trained you know etc their mm. price will their value will will increase as well uh, but in this day and age I think their value is not going down that's what I've noticed so um, the horse that I sold um, alhamdulillah I think I bought him for what I want to say about three and a half I think three and a half, four thousand pounds, and I've sold him for much more. So I have made a profit on him as well. <laughs> so their value does go up, definitely. Yeah. And how I, this feels so like all that, but how does it feel like buying and trading horses? Does it kind of throw you into like an ancient world of the fact that, oh yeah, I've got a horse, I'm going to sell my horse, I'm going to buy a horse? What does that feel like? I think it's become the norm for me now. So I, I don't sort of second guess it or overthink that. I don't feel any different now. But I think when I speak to friends of mine, because um, obviously a lot of my friends, they're just, they don't obviously, they're not involved in the horse world. It's just sort of me in my group that's sort of involved in that. So when I talk to like, my everyday friends and stuff you know and just mention this they do sometimes look at me like what world are you living in like this isn't normal like this isn't normal for us this is absolutely amazing and to me it's just like oh yeah it's just it's I'm just talking yeah I'm just gonna go view a horse today I'm just gonna go see you know if I like him I'm gonna buy him etc to me it's just become the norm now sometimes so basically in my family um obviously they're not horse people my family aren't horse people at all they're very alhamdulillah very supportive of my um excessive unconventional <laughs> hobbies that I sort of attach myself to so they've always supported me in all of it etc uh, they're not horse people I'd like to make clear so they don't understand any of it yes they like animals but um they're not horse people it's just me my family that is and they so they wouldn't understand why I'm so obsessed with this bond you know between horse and human or I think if my was to ever come and see me jumping she would literally be like you are never doing that again I don't think she would <laughs> understand what I do so I keep it on a need to know basis with my mom so, because understandably it can be dangerous of course I mean I've fallen off so many times I have been hurt alhamdulillah not you know any, anything so serious but um you know it can be dangerous of course because this this animal can potentially kill you and sometimes I do notice when I am in his stable uh you know just sort of grooming him sometimes just randomly the thought will overwhelm me just the fact that wait a minute if he wanted to he could literally kill you right now and then I just kind of step back and I'm like whoa okay because I'm so used to being that close with them it doesn't bother me you know but um yeah <laughs> that's it really and Obviously, with what you're doing, um, when we've got had previous guests, it's always yeah. been my sisters, my mom, everybody that's talked about them. It's always been their female side of their family that's really empowered them and pushed them to go on. But you talk about your brother. So yeah. what's it like having a male or a man kind of push you forward and say, here, OK, you've got your plan. Now go pursue it. What's that yeah. like? Um, so I, I think I should go have, I should give a little background with my, of my family as well. So um, I come from a single parent, a parent household as well. So my mum's a single mum. 
Um, so my older brother, he has literally been the father figure. He's been the guardian for me um, as long as I can remember. And like I said at the start, he's the type of man who he's very logical. He's very militant. That's how I would describe him. He, you know, he he likes a straight up conversation, like as in for, about anything. As in, like, like I said, you know, you want to do something, come up with a plan, do your research, come to me, let's sort it out. You know, keep emotions, all of that to a side. So to have him, he, like I said, I've been involved in many, in many unconventional hobbies. Ice hockey was my very first um, hobby that I like sort of got obsessed with and wanted to pursue. And it was him who also, you know, was, you know, he persuaded my mum at the time that just let her do it. You know, it's fine. And um, when I hobbies, even with horse riding, he was saying to me that if you're going to do it, I want you to take it all the way. Like, as in, I don't like this whole, you start something, you stop it, then you start something new. You take it as far as you can, you know. Um, so to have a male in my life to, to always, you know, encourage me, it's been absolutely amazing. That's all I've known. Um, so I don't know what it's like in other Pakistani families. Uh, I assume this isn't the norm. But for me, this is my norm. So it's just absolutely amazing to have him empower me constantly, push me forward, encourage me. And he does that in all things. He's done that with all my siblings as the head of the family. Obviously, when you come from a single parent household, the world is watching. You know, they're always sort of pointing fingers and waiting for us, us siblings to kind of fall so that they can say they have something to say about my mum. And I think that's what it's like in, within Asian culture in society as a single parent you know everyone's eyes they're sort of like hawks on you so he's always empowered all of us um to be top notch in everything that we do whether that's career whether that's your dean whether it's hobbies anything just take it all the way make something of your life stand up on your own two feet you know so that you're set in your life so that when it's time for you to have your own family, you know, you, you're on that pedestal I, because he's never wanted anyone to kind of dampen us or put us down. So it's been absolutely amazing. You know, I'm so grateful for him, for everything that he's done um, and for him to for, for him to support me in in my <laughs> in my questionable sports, basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that's so amazing to hear because so many times we hear the complete opposite. We hear yeah. that it's men holding women back and it's a lot more difficult. But I'm so glad to hear that you've had such a positive role model and somebody who has allowed you to pursue your questionable sports. But yeah. from what you're saying, it looks like you're the kind of person who's not afraid of breaking down any barriers. No. You're more yeah. a person yeah. who's bold, who's happy to be the only person like in the room yeah. and ready to challenge it as well. Definitely. So what's it like? walking into a room knowing that you're going to be the only person like you but not having that bother you in the slightest I think what how I've become I mean over time I've become the type of person where I love the fact that I can walk into a room and nobody like people can look at me and they would not be able to guess what I do any of my hobbies things I've done like none of it is predictable I'm not predictable and I like that and I want to be like that I absolutely love being that type of person because I want you know for as long as I can remember a goal a major goal of mine has always been to encourage Muslim women to get active 
to get up, get moving, get involved in sports, especially because I've always been an active person within school as well. So I just, I just love, I just want so many Muslim women. I want them to get up and feel like they can do this. You know that they're not held back. I don't want them to feel like culture is something that's hold, you know, or religion definitely is not holding them back. They are able to pursue things that they want to do. Um, I understand, you know, within society, it's very difficult for them to do that because of this ideology of what a Muslim woman, what a Pakistani woman should be like. People like to put us within this mold, within a box as to what we're supposed to be like. And I hate that. And I think the more people do that, the more I want to break out of that and to be the complete opposite of that, to show them that, well, look at me, you know, I've done this. You can do that as well. I want to pave a way for people. I want to inspire people to get involved in within the unknown. And I think as Asians, we do fear the unknown a lot. Things that, you know, others haven't sort of taken part in. We, we fear things that we don't know much about. And I want this to become the norm for people. Because um, I know so many Asian girls who want to get involved in horse riding, but they don't because they don't know how to get involved. They don't know where to start from. They wouldn't even know where to go. So I, I'm happy to talk about that on social media as in give them recommendations. People do message me all the time asking me, you know, I want to start. Where do I start from? What do I need to do? And I love advising them, you know, privately as to where, you know, these are the steps you need to take. And it all comes in happy to offer that advice because I want it to be accessible. And it is. It can be accessible, definitely, you know. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I love how passionate you are about it and how excited Thank you are you. to kind of <laughs> get more people involved because we need yeah. that. Um, yeah. And I think, well, another part of it is that Muslim hikers is something that you're also yes. part of, isn't it? it is, um, yeah. I spoke with um, Haroon Mota, the person yeah. who kind of leads it all. Yeah. And um, oh, after you kind uh, after the first walk, the first Christmas Day walk and the mm -hmm. racist comments that the hikers received. Yeah. And his whole movement is trying to get Muslim people outside, yeah. getting them involved in the outdoors. So what role do you play in that? How have you found joining that community? Yeah, so what Haroon has created, Haroon and his team, is absolutely amazing. I mean, I could talk about this for hours. So obviously involved in a lot of the communities where there is little muslim representation you know so to find a group where which i can be part of and have that community feel which i lacked throughout my life um due to the hobbies that i've taken place taken part in has been absolutely amazing um, and that's essentially what he's created he's created this safe space for muslims for non-muslims to come together like individuals to get together simply you know holding on to that love for the outdoors and the fact that his movement is all about you know getting people included within all communities you know to love the outdoors to get outside I, I I'm 100% behind that and I will do everything that I can to help him with that um but yeah I mean my first hike with Muslim hikers was in January and I I booked a hike for my 29th birthday because I didn't want to kind of do the whole birthday meal thing etc that people do I wanted to challenge myself I thought I've always loved the outdoors absolutely loved it never been hiking as part of an organized group I have been by myself etc um so I knew I had come across Muslim hikers on social media everybody talks about them all the time about how quickly their hikes are sold out etc and I never understood like 
what is it about them that everyone's so fascinated about? So I booked I booked a hike with them in January. I think it was to Dovedale, Dovestone, sorry, I think, a reservoir. Um, and I booked it for my 29th, didn't know what to expect, didn't get friends, literally went there by myself, made amazing friends along the way. Um, and I understood pretty much immediately as to why their hikes are out straight away that community feel that love that you feel you know with everyone involved is through the roof literally I cannot I I don't think my words will ever do it justice it's just everything that he does from the start the way he's put so much time and thought into everything from the registration process to organizing the whatsapp groups to sending out the emails prior to you know the hikes to his introductions and signing up when you attend the hikes through you know how many mountain leaders he has organized um and present there to help every single step of the way to the meals and the tea tea room you know stops that we have post heights all of it is just absolutely amazing and i love that it's accessible to all abilities all ages it's not all just to do with competitive hiking it's more to do with you know getting families outside elderly women elderly men as well just getting them up getting them moving um, and making them feel like they are part of a group where they can, you know, constantly come back to. So, yeah, it's been absolutely great. And, um, you know, I'm going to be continuing to go on hikes with this group. So, yeah, what he what Haruna's created is, is beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And w- going into all of this and hiking and mm-hmm. when I saw it initially in 2020, was it when I first came across it? Yeah. I, I was astounded. I was like, wow, this is really, really big. And then the amount of coverage they've had, the amount of yeah. people that have backed them and supported them. But going into this as a hijab wearing woman, what's that like? Do you ever feel like, wow, this is the most empowered I've ever felt being part of this community or is it scary or daunting? What's that like? It's definitely, no, I don't feel scared and it's not daunting at all. I mean, for me, I mean, as a Muslim, a hijab-wearing woman, I didn't know, you know, with an organised group was a thing, believe it or not. I just didn't know that there were, like, there was a, a group dedicated to hiking. I had no, that, no idea that was a thing, literally. I just thought friends sort of get together and go. So to come across that, and literally, and I think sometimes on his hikes, there's, like, about 150-plus people that attend it's just I cannot describe that feeling it's absolutely beautiful um but yeah when you're when you're literally hiking it's I want to make clear that when you're hiking I don't think a lot of people understand it's less to do with reaching the end reaching the summit it's less to do with that and it's more to do journey because whilst you're hiking no matter what the weather is whether it's raining whether it's windy it's freezing cold you are literally left thoughts literally along the way and I think that's that's the most liberating feeling as in like you get a chance to sort of detach from the outside world now you know whether you're stuck at work most of the week and stuff and on a weekend you get to go hiking you get to detach and leave all of that behind it's just you your thoughts your reflections you get to marvel at how amazing this world is you know these blessings that we take so much for granted uh this the simple things in life it helps you sort of it grounds you and it recharges you because being around nature obviously has a calming effect on anxiety as well naturally so I think it's just it's just beautiful it's more to do with the journey rather than reaching the summit I've always enjoyed it I I, the weather never phases me whether it's raining or not you know uh, it's you just dress according to the weather and you get outside. And I think as Asians, we tend to fear that. I know, like I personally, I've heard comments from my mom when I 
of younger like you know when it's raining you shouldn't go outside you know you're gonna get ill etc all of this but um now that I have a son of my own you know I'm the complete opposite it doesn't face him either I'm so glad that I'm able to sort of just get up and he's a very outdoorsy child anyway so I just dress him according to the weather and we go outside we'll go for a walk we'll go for a local hike and he absolutely loves it as well so I'm so glad about that oh that sounds amazing and I love the fact that you kind of pour your passions into him as well and from a young age because I think the more closed off children get from a young age that oh you can't do this you can't do this yeah. you can't do this those barriers stay with them Definitely. for longer than we ever anticipate yeah they do so yeah, yeah I've completely blown away by everything that you do um, <laughs> and I think you do it so well as well and you come across oh, as such you. a confident person um, but if you had to give advice to a young hijab wearing girl who's listening to this podcast now mm-hmm. what would you say to her I would say that I really hope that society doesn't hold you back. I really hope that this mould that the world likes to put us women in um, doesn't restrict or sort of dampen your ambitions. I really hope, I want I want all Muslim women to be inspired. I want them to follow their dreams. I, as cliche as that, I want them to be ambitious and want a better life for themselves and the next generation because that's what it comes down to. And I think... We can, you know, alhamdulillah, our parents have done their utmost best with everything, you know, with with raising us, with giving us as much as they could, given their own circumstances. But essentially, as, you know, as individuals, we have a choice. We always have a choice as to what we want for the next generation. You have a choice whether you want to stay the same or whether you want better for the next, you know, things that you you perhaps didn't have in your life I want us to literally aim high be inspired be ambitious as as can you know there's nothing that's there's no dream that's big enough you can literally I just I I get so passionate sometimes I lose my words (laughs) sorry about that but yeah I mean I want you guys to get up I want you to get involved um if there's any field that or arena that you feel like is inaccessible there are always Muslim women out there with me i mean i will happily send you recommendations as to where you should be riding where depending on your location it is accessible you can do it i want and owning a horse it is doable it really is you just need a plan in place and you know i think you can do that yourself like i said you can part own um, a horse as well and that's a great way to start off in this journey okay but yeah <laughs> No, I love that. I love how passionate you are about this. And I think it's important for people to pursue their passions. Yeah. Um, whatever that may be. Um, but yeah, no, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast today, Safura. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, no, thank you so much for having me. Like I said, it's been an absolute pleasure talking about this. And I really hope I've inspired even one person to sort of get up and, you know, um, go for, you know, their dreams and do something that they really want to do. I really hope that they don't hold back. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and I hope you feel inspired. I hope Sephora inspired you to get up and get outside, whether that's just walking around near your home or joining Muslim hikers on their next hike. Whatever it is, I hope she's left you feeling that you can there isn't anything that you can't do. And that's the point of hijabi culture. Our hijab is a barrier and we can do everything with our hijab on and we can do it with pride. So yeah. 
make sure to make the most of summer get up get outside and thank you so much again for listening to this episode make sure to share it on your socials make sure to follow us on instagram at hijabi culture underscore and on twitter at hijabi underscore culture thank you so much again and make sure to follow us on make sure to follow us on spotify apple wherever it is that you get your podcast and we'll see you next time my name's halima and this is hijabi culture assalamu alaikum